we've been speaking about vulnerability. Yes, last time we contrasted the the propensity that we have on a deeper level to be attracted. There's a part of us, a negative part of us, which is attracted to to things which are dirty. Just literally, there's a part of us that can even become almost seduced by filth, and we we, we even um, thought about the idea of Baal Peor, where the form of idolatry was to literally defecate in front of the idol, almost as if that's expressing some form of some form of worship. Um, so you can see that people get really attached to, to filth. And the Rav Dessa quoted Zohar, which in a mystical sense related that there's a part of ourselves which which actually can connect and and these physical things of dirt and and um, disgust are actually very subtle on a deeper level expressions of of different powers within us and therefore an aversion an an, an aversion to dirt is 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 actually a spiritual quest and you know there is a western expression which is cleanliness is next to godliness in this context is actually not so far fetched that a person's image and a person's presentation and the person's um, the way that we show up is actually influential in terms of relating to the deeper the deeper in, in inner rhythms of ourself and we contrasted that with seemingly this idea of vulnerability where you just kind of open up and expose stuff which is even pretty grotesque and, and dirty and 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 mucky um how do we how do, how do we kind of marry those two things together? What what is the geder gvul? What is the parameter? And that's that's kind of a, a quandary we left off with. Even though we have to explore, we're exploring, and we're always exploring. Daniel, we're always really only exploring. We never kind of we never you know there's such depth to to life and depth to the 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 the, the grandeur of ourselves, the the deeper parts of who we are. It's not like we oh eventually kind of oh no kind of now figured it out. There will always be something that we haven't just quite figured out, and because this is what the Nefesh Chaim says, a great mystical work. He says most of the secrets of the Kabbalah revolve around explaining the greatness of man. In other words, that's it. So, so people kind of say, "Oh, I kind of figured out how people work." So then, they they really aren't on on in touch. So I want to go a bit further, and I want you to think about vulnerability and how it corresponds to reality or the reality inside of me. And there's an interesting midrash that Rav Desla brings down, where there's a contrast between how people who are disattached relate to the inner worlds and people who are connected relate to the inner worlds. And the this is from taken from a um, a medrash in Bereshis in Genesis, which says Harishoim Bishus Libam. A very interesting way of expressing it. Um, people who are disconnected, people who are, who are not healthy, people who are intent on on negativity. So they are in the domain. They're under the jurisdiction. They're under the authority of their hearts, and we'll have to figure out what that means and what are hearts. And then it quotes a series of verses which indicate this. Omar Novel Beliboy, Novel said in his heart, Vayom Esau Beliboy, Esau said in his heart, Vayom Yerovan Beliboy. In other words, uh, people, a lot, of, a lot of negative, like, um, really uh, anti, anti, anti-man type of guys who, who said these things and they said in their heart. Whereas when it speaks about people who are elevated, Tzadikim, they are above, they are really sages, 
So it says, Hatzadikim libam beshusam. Their hearts in their domain. In other words, the shift between a tzaddik and a rasha, between a person who's, for want of a better word, righteous, or a person who's evil, negative, and positive, is one is he is under the jurisdiction, he's under the authority of his lave, his heart, and the tzaddikim are the opposite. Their hearts are under their jurisdiction. And he brings a series of psukim. One is from um, Chana, the great um, lady Chana, the Chana. She speaks to her heart. So she is the, is, is the, the identity and she's relating to her. But she's, in other words, her heart is under her jurisdiction. She's the, she's giving the guidance to her heart. For Yomir David Libo and David, David the king spoke to his heart. For Yosim Daniel Libo and, and, and Daniel placed on his heart. Um, and, uh, actually, interestingly, it concludes that Doimin Leboyan, this is, this is like, in our investigation of the way that the, the, the Hashem interacts with himself, it actually says, Hashem That's almost as if Hashem also spoke to his heart. So it's almost like a, a divine demonstration of this powerful idea. Very interesting. So we have to kind of figure out what heart is. And, and, and I want to tie it into something which I really believe is both important fundamentally in understanding the world through the eyes of Jewish spirituality, but also just important for ourselves, practically, of, I think it ties very much into making good decisions. Making good decisions. Because let's start off with the basic working definition of heart. What is that? Um... So I'd like to, the way that I work with the notion of heart is just like the heart is a central organ in the body and its uh, function is to pump blood, which is the synonym for life force throughout the body from all the way up to the head and all the way down to your toes. So it's the pulsating organ that brings life to everything else in the moment. So when we describe heart, we mean the central core of our beings uh, in the experiential moment. The experience, the moment in the, the way I'm experiencing this, and it, it's tied into, I suppose, our emotions and um, our reaction through active reaction to to the external stimuli of the sensory input that we get from the world. So it's, it's almost this, um, an unmediated experience of existence is, is life. It's unmediated. It's unfiltered. It just, it just is. And when that unmediated, unfiltered experience of living occurs and I become subsumed into that, so... I essentially, in a certain way, live a reactive and passive life, just functioning according to the currents around me as they bob me around like a floating piece of wood based on the whim of their direction. In the moment, I ask myself, how am I feeling? 
um, and how I'm feeling then becomes the 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 experience of the moment and the direction at which I will take. So I I, I, I land up at let's say a I go out to meet with friends and I'm feeling like I'm just not feeling it. I'm not just connecting to them. I'm just bored with their conversation. So, well, in that moment, if I'm bored with the conversation, I just get up and leave because that, that experience in the moment is unsatisfactory for me. I don't want to perpetuate it. I just get up and go. If I'm enjoying the conversation, so then I'll stay. And there's no filtration, meaning there's no evaluation. There's no weighing up. For example, if I'm bored with the conversation, yeah, but maybe they appreciate my presence and me leaving them will leave them, make them feel offended and dismissed. Do I think about that? No, because I'm bored. So I get up and leave. When I'm staying with a group of friends and I'm enjoying it, is it, am I enjoying it because they're just gossiping and I'm loving all this group kind of, this, this dirty stuff about everyone else and that's why I'm enjoying it as opposed to thinking, well, is this really what I want to spend my time listening to and participating in? So when we become... Um, propelled by the experience of the moment, which is unfiltered. So that's called we're We're under the jurisdiction of the experience. We don't rise above the experience. We sink below the experience. We become controlled by the experience. We don't exercise control. And the opposite experience would be that we negotiate with the experience. Not we dismiss, because you see that the, the opposite is not a dismissal, but a speaking to and engaging. We engage with the experience. And we say, well, you know, the, the experience, the experiential part of me says, well, I'm bored, let's go. But there's a higher part of myself which could theoretically intervene and say, well, why do you want to go? It's boring. Uh, have you thought about how the other people around you would feel? No. Well, what do you think they'll feel? Uh, I think they'll probably be pretty upset that I'm just getting up in the middle and going. Okay. So what do you want to do with that? Get up and go? Well, how would you feel if you're like spending what you thought was a good time with your friend and you just said, oh, I'm bored, let me go, or you just got up and went? So uh, I'd probably feel horrible. Well, do you want to make them feel horrible? Uh, mm, no. Okay, so what do you want to do? Well, maybe I'll just, I'll just stay at your plan. Great. That's called mediated. Yes, Ralph, what you say? I was going to say, that's usually where people lie. What do you mean? Like, you usually come up with, like, a little white lie. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. But right. I don't want them to feel offended. Right. It's like, oh, guys, sorry, I have to go do something important. Oh, you mean... You mean the way you'll extract yourself from the situation is well, yeah. So you'll just you'll just lie and you'll say, oh, oh my gosh, oh, is it is it is it already ten o'clock? Oh, I made an appointment with my dentist. Oh, sorry, guys, I have to go. Uh, correct, correct. So that's that's like a kind of a it's a it's a it's a double whammy kind of self destruction. Yes, Ariel. So why is it just the heart and the heart and the brain? Because in situations, your heart, okay, feel the feeling, but the brain is ultimately also involved in that. So I don't use words like heart and brain because I, I want to use, it's, it's, this is what Rav Dessa says now. I, I don't know, I haven't, he says quite an interesting description of an internal anatomy. Listen to what he says. He says, the experiential self calls itself I. 
the um, idealistic self is you in the unmodified human, human, and the intellectual, spiritual self is he. So it's first person, second person, third person. So I feel like I'm having a good time. What do you want me to do? What does he think about the situation? And I think, or if this doesn't say this, but I'm wondering if perhaps we have to perform a reversal where the I becomes a spiritual intellectual part and the you becomes or stays the emotional part and the he becomes the experiential part. Or, you know, he thinks that we should leave. Well, why would we leave if these guys are going to be upset? I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's open for that. But that says the unmodified, in other words, the default experience of living is I relate most, my identity is locked into the experiential moment. Now, why? what I mean by this in terms of influencing decision-making is, you know, you can really mess up in life. You can really mess up in life. You really can. You can make really bad decisions about where you live, what kind of job you want to go into, uh, what you do with your time, and for sure, the kind of, you know, who you want to marry. Now, imagine just taking marriage as an example. Imagine you're governed by some kind of experiential force when you're choosing a life partner. And... uh, Maybe if you know if you're a man, you're taken by a woman's beauty or charm, and you feel, oh my gosh, she's she's amazing. I want to just be with her the rest of my life. That's how you feel. That's how you feel in the moment. Especially like you know, if you feel very attracted and you get very excited and you got butterflies in your tummy. Oh, it's amazing. Just be with her for the rest of my life. And then that decision is not modified by a kind of well, start stepping back and saying, well, okay, um, do you have the same goals? And you say, well, I don't know. I mean, is that really important? We love each other. Um, do you want to live in the same place? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Do you want to raise children in the same way? I, why? Why are you? Why are you asking me all those questions? I just want to, you know, I just want to hang out with her. And then you can land up making a decision based on that. And then you know, a year later, two years later, you suddenly say, one second, what's going on over here? We've got vastly different goals. We've got completely different ways of how we'd like to raise a family. We want to live in different parts of the world. This is this is a disaster. So that's a bad decision. That bad decision is, is messy on every level and gets messy if you perpetuate it. So we have to make good decisions. There's good decisions about life choices in terms of education. There's, you know, what how should how should career career. You know, like people say, well, They've got a anxiety about making sure that they that they have enough of an income, and therefore they choose a career which which is what they find mind dulling and soul deadening. I'm not saying you know people, but 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 it's secure. It's secure, and I'm not advocating you know recklessness when thinking about your future financial income, but I am encouraging us to think carefully about our decisions and recognizing more about, not about the particularities of a given decision, but actually of 
Where is the decision really coming from? And this heart goes back to vulnerability. Because let's say you meet this guy and he's just met this girl and he's mad in love with her and you say to him, well, what is it that you like about her? And like, <laughs> like he smiles and blushes and you say, okay, I get it. <laughs> when he admits that, and he says, what I like about her is I love her body, I love her face, and I love her attractive sexiness. <laughs> okay, so then, so when, what happens is when you are vulnerable about, vulnerable about that, what's happening is you are now expressing and externalizing the default position of who you are. And when you put it out there, it now becomes subject to discussion. But without that admission of vulnerability, it lurks as a driving force, which can just pull you and push you in a, in a direction of its choice and inhibit your decisions. So ironically, vulnerability and having the capacity to admit what's really going on creates room for healthy thinking, healthy living, healthy decisions. And an inability to be vulnerable keeps us trapped in fears, desires, and negative ways of processing life, which just become, in the course of time, quite unhealthy. Can you explain that part again? Sure. Sure, sure. Let's say, this is how it happens. A person's studying. He's already getting what he's doing because... He's he's got he's just not he's not grasping it because why because of his cognitive abilities he doesn't get the material it's too complex for him so there's a part of him which just starts to feel bad like I'm stupid I'm stupid so what does he do well he's not going to come up to you and say listen I'm just really not getting this course I'm I'm, I'm I must be stupid. He's going to try to hide that because exposing himself shows that weakness. The problem is hiding that makes it just drive him without being modified. So he's a, he thinks he's stupid. So that could lead to him um, giving up hope. It could lead to him changing degrees, changing courses. It could lead to him um, overcompensating trying to harden, burning out. There could be multiple negative repercussions as opposed to he comes up to me and he says, do you know what? Like, I really think I'm failing this course. I must be stupid. And you say back to him, well, why do you think you're failing? So he says, well, actually, I just get so bored in the lectures. I cannot listen to a thing. So he's saying, well, have you ever thought that maybe the reason why you're failing is because you just don't have the presence of mind to take, take in any of the information? You go, no, I haven't listened to a thing. Well, okay, well, what do you expect? To pass? Oh, that's a good point. What do you think I should do? Well, can you see, like, is there anyone who speaks about the same topic online who's more interesting? Well, I never thought about that. Have you tried looking at the textbook? No. Oh, well, how about that? Have you gone over to one of your fellow students who enjoys it and asked them to, like, tutor you? No. Oh. Okay, well, how about you do those things? Wow, thank you. So it could be that you'll, you'll keep that inside, not process it, not want to be vulnerable because it's really scary saying that you're stupid. And as a result, hide yourself from the true reality of your being. So it comes out actually that vulnerability could be a pathway to 
not only connection with others, but simple connection to yourself and feeling a reality. Uh, I don't know if that was was that clear. Did anyone questions, questions, thoughts, comments? How does this apply to different situations? Like for like a teacher, for like a mentor, a rabbi, definitely see how it works. Um, maybe even for like for a parent, definitely see how it works. How does it apply to like a friend or like a, like a girl that you're dating or something like that? You tell me. How does it apply? Give me the like situation. How, how could you be like? How could being vulnerable in this sense? be beneficial to, like, the girl you're shit dating. What's the context? Like, you feel like you're not, you feel like you're, you're, like, hiding a little bit about yourself. Right. Uh, so you're saying if you are vulnerable, you'll, she'll see who you really are, you'll see who you really are, and you'll see if it actually works. Right. 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 It's like, it's, it's, so now what's, what's actually coming out of our conversation is that vulnerability and reality, or the Hebrew word is emet, emet actually are Deeply related, but it is vulnerability mm-hmm. just like just like spilling all your secrets? No, it's like so we haven't if we haven't kind of we've thought about well what the, what's the what are the parameters? Does it mean like you meet the person the first time and say listen, I really have to tell you something about me? And you say well what is it? You say well I snore really loudly. <laughs> say, okay, and that's not it. You say what else? You say, I pick my nose. Okay, I mean, that's embarrassing. You said, but only in the bathroom. Um, <laughs> obviously. Right, you don't want to do that <laughs> because there's no need for that. But let's say you're, you're about to start a business partnership with someone and um, you you realize that, you know, they're demanding eight hours work from you and you only, you only have five hours to devote to it. But you don't want to admit that you don't have that amount of time. So you say, okay, yeah, I'm sure I'll manage it. That's bad. Then you should say, no, come clean. Or they're asking you to perform a, a, a role that you feel that you don't have the qualifications for. They say, okay, well, you're going to sales. And you think, well, I'm actually, by nature, I hate dealing with people. I prefer computers. So you should probably bring that up. But it's hard because there's pressure. Yes, Emmett. Uh, just a question on like nature and, and so on. How, how do we account for them that people will change and either, you know, they might grow to find something more fulfilling or indeed less fulfilling over time, uh, even if in the moment they would have made the decision as earnestly as possible? Uh, I really, you're going to have to give me an example. I don't know what you're talking about. So, with, yeah, we were talking about like careers just now that, you know, you have somebody who he picked a job, whatever, he needed the money, he needed something to do. Um, the, actual thing he starts out without the skills without any kind of enjoyment for it but then he might discover within that that either that he was there was something that he was able to enjoy about it or he reframed his perspectives or whatever like so or just whatever his personality sort of you know moved enough in one way or another that he grew to have some kind of fulfillment from something which even uh, you know earnestly he might not have uh, well, a few years before. Mm-hmm. And people do change in, in right. drastic ways. Right. So what are you saying? I'm saying how can we be, like how um, how do we utilize this this honesty with oneself when we know that, that people change 
in, in a lot of their like values, opinions. I mean, we 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 don't really know how people change until we know the person intimately well. So we can only ever really speak of ourselves. Firstly, secondly. Since we're just looking at the surface, we don't we don't know what's going on with anyone else but ourselves. So this person who started this job that he didn't want to do, and then he kind of got into it and got really good at it. But maybe there was another job out there that he could have been amazing at and fulfilled and like super happy. So it's hard to know about anyone and like looking around, very difficult to extrapolate. But let's think about ourselves and let's think about the decisions that we've made and let's think about the decisions that we can make. And that's helpful. And that's within our reach. So I'm thinking now, well, what, what should I do with the next? I'm thinking, let me, let's think together. Well, well, well I, you know, we've been, we've been sharing these ideas together. Well, what should the next, next lesson be about? You know, should I just like go for the way I'm feeling right now? Or should I think to myself, well, what is the next step in this process? Where, where should we go with this? Um, What's the next thing that we need to develop from this point? I should just think, wait, turn up in the classroom and think, okay, I have to say something. I was speaking about that last time, so maybe I'll speak about this. Or You're following me. So right now, I can think about, I don't know, other stuff in my life of, um, of how I'm dealing with things. So that, then that's relevant, because that's why I can't, can't know what's going on in other people's lives and why they're moving and why they're changing. If they are changing, if they are moving, which is it's too, too way too complex and way too deep. But we can know for ourselves. So really the question is, well, how do I make better decisions? And how can me voicing some of the stuff that I'm holding back actually create moments of clarity for me? So let's say, for example, in this minute moment, I'm trying to think if there's anything lurking inside of me that, that I can reveal and I've got the courage to reveal. About the share, because that's that's let's say this, that's the junction of our engagement right now. Um, yeah. So how about this? Um, I feel that in this in these sessions, I give them way less preparatory thought than I should. I should really kind of spend more time thinking carefully about how to, how to, you know, like what to say and how it follows on and, you know, and not just, not just coming in here and hoping for the best and winging it. Um, so what do you, how can you help me out with that? Make a syllabus? <laughs> Yeah, I could make a syllabus. The problem is like that takes effort. I don't take effort. <laughs> so a syllabus would change the way the class works fundamentally. So what are you saying? So how are you going to help me out with this, Shimon? Apart from trying to prepare stuff for next year, I don't know. Okay, so I'll just keep on going then. I'm not sure because I've not given it any thought. Well, maybe you would if you care about me. And just give me a bit of, a, you know, a bit of help. A bit of help. Yeah, the outline you would know what to what to prepare for. Like week one, week class one. I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm right. I don't want to do that. When you say that to me, I get this sinking feeling in my tummy. It looks like work. It looks like thinking ahead. It looks like preparation. It looks like fixing myself into some kind of modules, and all those things make me literally want to vomit. <laughs> Mm. What, what help have you got for me, Josh? I don't want to do work. There's already the conversation to be had. Well, thank you. That's really encouraging. You should really go into counselling. 
What, what, what? Here I am. Here I'm putting myself in front of you. No, I don't want to do work. So I don't want to do work. I wake up at 6.20 in the morning. I go to sleep at 12. I have to time my toilet breaks because I don't have time. Not that I don't want to do work. I don't want to do more work. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> there may have been an angry part. <laughs> I want real help. I don't want you to tell me that I don't want you to do work and I kind of judge me and blame me. That's what I need. You correct. In other words, you blame the judgment. Now you see what's happened? Now I'm really living under the under the control of this experience. Big time. It's not working. I'm just you see, I'm becoming deeper and deeper in that quagmire. Someone help me, someone help me, someone help me. See if you can help me. You don't have to think of planning as work. Okay, what should I think of it as fun? It doesn't really need to be a whole a whole lot of time. Are we? Yeah. I mean, I find that you have such skills with improving that uh, if you just had one topic, uh, that you would you you. I do that already. Yeah. So that's yeah. I think it's like you're you're fine. Okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. Fine. So so no room for improvement, Ralph. You sound like the guy before who who took the job that required eight hours and only has five. Right. So you, so you say you have no time. Right. Like you wake up six twenty and you're working all the way till twelve and you go to bed. Right. And forty five minutes of that is this year. Right. From twelve thirty to one fifteen. And right. You said you want to spend more time preparing for it, but where can you do such a thing? Right. So uh, since you're in a pickle, sleep. maybe we shouldn't have sheer. I don't know. That's an option. We'll work less in other areas. Should we cancel it? Or should we like start shear five or ten minutes later so you can prepare and then shear shorter? Oh. Okay, well this was actually this was this was a good part of the share. Thank you for being there for me. It's appreciated. And uh, let's think about it. Josh, have you got more derision and scorn to visit upon me? Yes. And, <laughs> uh, well, like you said, skills of the improv, you don't need plan the entire syllabus, just a general Direction. I have a general direction. Oh, we speak about vulnerability and we're exploring it from many different angles. And for further topics, like a general direction. I can think of off the cuff now 16 further topics. That's Not a problem. Good. But I don't believe that's using. The question is are we utilizing, underutilizing, or sufficiently utilizing the time we have together for maximum benefit? So I'm wondering if that. The what? Said it's impossible. What's impossible? Maximum benefit and value from however limited source of uh, resources you have. Okay, so so what you're saying is that this is a good belief of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, gentlemen, uh, I think we should stop there before things get uglier. <laughs> Thank you for your. Attention.